Hello and welcome. You're listening to Connected and Ready, an ongoing conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed, brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Gemma Milne. I'm a technology journalist and author, and I'm going to be exploring trends around how companies are adapting to a disrupted world and preparing for tomorrow. We're going to speak to the innovators who are bringing products, operations and people together in new ways. In today's episode, I'm joined by Sucharita Kadali, VP and Principal Analyst serving e-business and channel strategy professionals at Forrester to talk about the need for greater inventory visibility and supply chain agility across retail and consumer goods. We talk about the importance of digital commerce in terms of the impact of evolving consumer needs and keeping up with changing demands. We explore the importance of having greater agility to respond more quickly to evolving needs. And we uncover the technology that makes that agility possible with a look ahead to what what retailers and CPG brands should be planning for next. Before we start, I want to thank all of you listeners out there. If you have a topic or a person you'd love to hear on the show, please send us an email at connectedandready at microsoft.com. We're so thankful for you all. Now, on with the episode. So, Judah, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show today. I wonder if you could just start by telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do and what you've been currently working on. Thank you so much for having me, Gemma. My name is Sucharita Kadali. I'm a retail analyst at Forrester. I've been at Forrester since 2005, working primarily with companies that are either in the retail industry or support the retail industry, like brand manufacturers, and uh, a whole slew of solutions providers and technology providers that service those sectors as well. I work a lot with digital transformation efforts and uh, the increasing efforts to help these companies become more uh, integrated into the internet, service their customers through the internet, and leverage um, technology to support their physical store experiences. Amazing. Let's start by talking about the impact of digital commerce on retailers and CPG brands. From your perspective, how has growth changed the customer experience and the ability for companies to keep up with all of this changing demand? Yeah. um, The bigger question of what has digital done to these companies, um, but then there's the pandemic as well, which has forced this huge just acceleration toward digital. I mean, we've been talking about the importance of digital for decades now, and companies have had varying levels of commitment to digital. I think that it is disruptive and it's an enormous investment and often requires changes to their organizational structure and their ways that they've run their businesses in the past. And um, it was slow going, you know, even if an effort had a positive ROI, um, you know, it would just be deprioritized because there were so many other things that needed to take precedence. But then COVID happened, and that was actually probably the best thing that could have happened to digital transformation is that was a huge kick in the pants to force companies along the journey of omni-channel transparency and agility and um, really, really forced digital first thinking um, in, in every possible way. So that's what I would say has been probably the single biggest shift and change that's happened certainly in the last year. So you mentioned digital first thinking. Um, in the context of retailers specifically, what does that really mean? What does that look like in practice? Um, how we, we often describe digital first thinking is recognizing that your customer is going to engage 
with you digitally first. So how does that manifest itself is, I would say that probably the companies that are most sophisticated with it, they always use design thinking and they look at um, what are all those touch points? Is it a mobile device that is the first point of engagement? Is it, um, you know, is it a partner site on some digital touch point? Is it, um, you know, kind of a chat bot? What, what are all the touch points that our consumers are going to discover us, research us, engage with us, and ultimately transact with us. And these days, more than half of all cases, you know, often these touch points start digitally and, you know, almost every single touch point through a research process touches digital. So it's really um, taking that into consideration as you're building products and services. Um, historically, I would argue that in the retail industry and in the CPG industry, they've been much, much more focused on physical first. And it's almost start with the product and reverse engineer it. That was partly how we've ended up where we are now, why e-commerce in a sector like grocery is still incredibly unprofitable. You know, it's all about like boxes being shipped in pallets and there's very little customized product creation. There is, there are no processes to like break boxes easily or inexpensively. And they haven't re-engineered themselves to be digital first. You know, the product is retail first, and then you're putting on an additional digital cost on top of it. So of course, it's not going to be productive because you haven't rethought the process from the start. And when you don't do that, all you're doing is you're just doing things the same old way. And then you're adding an additional cost that takes out of the little margin that you have. That's not a formula for success. Yeah, it's almost like we needed something even more disruptive, like a global pandemic to try and get over that hump of perceived or indeed sometimes real disruption that the requirement of digital transformation really has on companies. What would you say in terms of how retailers are feeling in terms of preparation then? Do they feel prepared for this? Do you think they've been responding in a way that feels comfortable? Or has it been more of a shove as opposed to a slight push for a lot of retailers? Yeah, if I had to describe it in kind of an expression, I mean, I think a lot of these retailers came along kicking and screaming. I mean, this was definitely not always something that they had embraced from from the get-go. And, and that applies absolutely to brands as well. You know, if we're talking about CPG, the grocery industry, I mean, historically, that's been a sector that's been, you know, some of the slowest moving with respect to, to digital transformation. In large part, because their margins are so low and um, any major changes often would just increase costs without necessarily showcasing a positive ROI. So in some ways, it was understandable why some of the slowness was what it was. But I think that there was just not a choice through the pandemic. And what it's done is that it has at least kind of exposed where does it make sense to invest and you know where are there opportunities to glean some positive benefits. And often it is in things like inventory visibility across different channels and having better insight into downstream manufacturing and where things may be with suppliers. And all of that has been extremely important, particularly if there were shortages, for instance, on shelves or if there was particularly unusually high demand for a set of items like there was for toilet paper and 
paper products, you know, through much of the pandemic, um, you know, kind of the investments and things like inventory visibility made a ton of sense. And, and this is something that we absolutely saw more improvement around. Yes, I want to dive in a little bit to talking a little bit about this sort of inventory visibility, as you put it. It's interesting. I think I've said this quite a few times on the show that I don't think supply chain has ever had so much mainstream media attention until um, this past year. It was probably seen as this obscure thing that only people in the industry or strange people like myself were interested in. And suddenly it's a thing that everybody's talking about because of a lack of toilet paper. So I wonder, how have you sort of seen how retailers have been able to adapt supply chains, make sure their supply chains are keeping up with these changes. Obviously, very different at the start of the pandemic to the middle, and then, of course, kind of where we are now. How have you sort of seen that supply chain adaptation and response? Well, you're absolutely right. And um, it seems like every week there's something new, like this week, um, you know, as we're recording, um, you know, the the big ship in the Suez Canal just got dislodged. Right. So, um, right. you know, kind of there's there's seemingly always something related to supply chain issues. Um, you know, with respect to CPG and retail, the story has evolved so much because there are different parts of the supply chain impacted at different times for different reasons. You still, in many cases, will see some empty shelves now, you know, not because the product is sitting in warehouses and can't get to shelves, but because, you know, there are manufacturers that just have not adapted their demand and they may be creating things at their maximum capacity, but, you know, but they simply don't want to invest in another factory to increase that, you know, what they're able to deliver. So one way that we've seen companies adjust to supply chain disruptions and supply chain shortages is, you know, you've started to see a lot more private label goods in some of those those heavily sold out categories. And that's been interesting to watch because, um, you know, I think that that speaks to at least some companies somewhere recognizing their ability to be nimble and source products and, you know, kind of get on shelves when maybe brand names have chosen not to step up to meet that demand. So that's been interesting because um, that speaks to ingenuity and, and entrepreneurialism where it exists within organizations. Microsoft Dynamics 365 Intelligent Order Management helps organizations simplify and automate omni-channel fulfillment using data, AI, and machine learning. Manage the entire life cycle of an order from capture to delivery using drag-and-drop tools that ensure customers' needs are met on time and cost-effectively on a unified platform that integrates seamlessly with existing enterprise systems. Learn more by following the link in the episode description. Yeah, so let's dive into that. How can all the rest of us keep up with those that are being um, ingenious and entrepreneurial in their way in terms of how they adapt to change? Is there a better way then to connect digital commerce experience and supply chains in order to be more responsive to evolving demands? What's the answer there? Um, that is a great question. And I don't know that there's a single answer, but there are you know, some answers that I think at the very least worth exploring. Um, one of the things that we started to see in the last few years is the growth of 
dropship solutions and marketplace solutions as a way to address some of that demand. One of the most vivid examples I can remember, even before the pandemic, was in the United States a couple of years ago, there was a solar eclipse. I don't know if uh, those of you listening may remember that moment, but it was a, a solar eclipse that happens like once every 75 years across, you know, kind of much of the continental U.S. And what had happened was that one of the items that was in hot demand in order to view the solar eclipse were eclipse glasses. And they're not terribly sophisticated things. I mean, you know, these are <laughs> literally, it's like a piece of, you know, kind of cardstock paper with some like film that, you, you know, kind of make sure that you don't get blinded when you look at the sun. It was something that... Um, you know, kind of for whatever reason, was in super, super short supply. And in the weeks leading up to the eclipse, these solar eclipse glasses were sold out everywhere, um, except for Amazon, where you could find marketplace sellers, third-party sellers, people who were just rogue um, owners of these eclipse glasses. They had somehow procured them or they had the foresight to source this merchandise like months ago and they held on to it kind of exactly for this moment where they knew there'd be a burst in demand. And then they were selling these eclipse glasses for like, you know, like $20 each. Whereas in the past, you know, if you had bought them when they were in greater supply, you could have purchase them for like probably 50 cents each. So um, so I think that what that illustrates is that, you know, where there is short supply, there is the ability to leverage, you know, a community often or other sellers to often get product that you may not have been able to get otherwise. You know, it enables you to not lean into and to buy inventory that you don't need to buy. But at the same time, you're then able to meet the consumer demand where it is and when it happens. Yeah, it's a really interesting example of how these marketplace or platform technologies that we've been seeing um, a growth of in so many different industries is being used to really disrupt and change, but then also really augment and make better these kind of places where big challenges are happening and it's kind of a really good place to go to be able to solve that. But thinking about some of the most successful retailers, what is it that they've been doing? What have they been investing in? Perhaps different technologies that they're using that makes them more resilient and agile, both from inventory management standpoint, as well as supply chains, other than, of course, as you mentioned, sort of trying out new marketplaces, new technologies in different places to find supply. Yeah, Forrester actually did a survey on exactly this topic in partnership with Microsoft. And some of the findings from that were, you know, really a handful of different things that were probably most important. I mean, the first was was just increasing visibility across the supply chain. So it's investments in things like order management systems or warehouse management systems or transportation management systems so that there was a sense of what is where along the journey from raw material to manufacturing, to a container ship, to a warehouse, to wherever the end point of sale could possibly be. So, so that improving of that visibility, not just to the retailer, but even downstream is, is incredibly important. The uh, nimbleness in your 
inventory planning system. So that was the, you know, kind of one of the, the next most important things is, uh, is being able to adjust demand in real time, um, being able to adjust it according to things that maybe you can even anticipate, like weather-based challenges or anything that could be related to spikes in demand that could be signals of, of greater demand to come, either for a particular product or in a given region. We have seen the diversity of suppliers. So knowing that supply chains become very, very vulnerable when you are hyper-concentrated in interest in diversifying supply chains, which comes at a cost. I mean, that's that's something that historically was a trade-off that companies were often willing to make is, you know, kind of, it's okay to lose a little bit of agility if we can reduce costs. But now it seems that the pandemic and, and so many of the issues that we've seen recently suggest that, you know, it's not such a good thing, especially when we're headed toward seemingly a world where there's more and more risk, where there's going to be more and more disruption, where epidemiologists are convinced that this is certainly not going to be the last pandemic. Um, if that's the case, it's not going to make sense to continue to be hyper-concentrated in your supply chain. So to diversify suppliers, diversify where your factories are, to diversify every part of supply chain is important. And then lastly, you know, what we already talked about, which is drop shipping and marketplace support as well. Sounds like a lot of what you're talking about here comes back to knowledge and information that is either going to inform foresight that's going to inform bringing in new sources like you say you know looking at weather for instance as a new or a different source of information or even just being able when you're doing that diversification to understand where's good what's good who should I be speaking to so there's a lot of different I guess different forms of data that have to be compiled brought in processed is this a question of new technologies for analysing that data? Is this a, a mindset thing about bringing in new data and information more so than before? Is this a talent thing, bringing in people who understand analysis information or is it about research? How do you make these big shifts that you're talking about? All of the above. You know, I don't know that there's a, a single solution. It's, you know, kind of the framework that we've had for years of people, process, and technology where, yes, you can start with the technology. There are increasingly solutions that, whether it's business intelligence solutions or off-the-shelf solutions or, you know, in some cases, companies... Um, custom build these solutions where they may be ingesting weather sources and inventory sources and demand sources and, you know, kind of pulling all of that together. But just pulling it together is is only one step of the equation. Then you need people to act on those changes. You need to make decisions based on the insights. And often you need to make sure that you're equipped to actually execute the changes that the people have said you need to do. And what I mean by that is, you know, kind of if you don't have the appropriate nodes in place, then you may be stuck. And, you know, supply chain is a great example of exactly that right now, because right now there's actually a shortage of container ships because there are containers that are scattered around the world because they were sent off to go deliver masks and they weren't brought back, you know, to places where they are needed. And 
And as a result of that, the spot price actually right now of containers globally is like the highest that it's been in many, many years in history. And that is a great example of the process. You know, even though the ideas may have been there, the technology may have been there, you know, people may have had the right ideas. They didn't reallocate the raw materials that you needed to be part of the supply chain. And then things took a turn that I think we would have preferred not to see. So, you know, it's more than just technology. It's more than just ideas. You also need to make sure that everything else is lined up so that you can have things be what you want them to be. I'm curious about the balance between prevention and cure. We talk about this a lot in health systems, right? How do we try and have this idea of preventative health as opposed to reacting to when people are ill? And I suppose it's a similar sort of thing when you're thinking about supply chains. There's always going to be things that come up that you have to react to that no amount of information could possibly ever predict. But at the same time, you do also have to be able to build a way of being able to prevent as much as possible. How do you balance that building in the ability to react versus perhaps doing the upfront work of doing the prevention before it happens? Oh, that's such a good question. And it's a trade-off ultimately, because maybe about a couple of decades ago, we moved toward reactive supply chains, right? Because we went away from wanting to invest in resiliency, right? Because it was much, much cheaper to not have to invest in resiliency, especially if, you know, a pandemic only ever happened once every hundred years, um, it, you know, and, and if things were fairly secure, you know, and there was only a 1% chance that something could go wrong, why bother, you know, investing in something different? And what we moved toward was just bigger, more concentrated everything to get economies of scale. And um, I think that what we realized is that that is potentially dangerous. That is, you know, problematic. It will just prolong a downturn when it happens. Um, you know, but what's the answer? The only answer is to invest in resiliency. And the only answer is to invest in diversification, which necessarily increases your cost of operation. So how do you offset that? Do you invest in things like insurance? You know, it is that, well, that becomes almost table stakes at this point. But, you know, do you diversify the spend or do you partner with, you know, kind of with downstream manufacturer, you know, do retailers and manufacturers partner? Do you partner with some of your raw materials suppliers to see if there are differences in the ways that things can happen? You know, do you lobby for change so that you force the costs across everybody? You know, because what will happen is that in good times, then, you revert back to the cheapest means of doing things, which is fundamentally not resilient. And how does somebody who's high cost, then how are they able to compete with somebody who's low cost? And there is no easy way unless you are, you know, especially if you're you're essentially selling the same commoditized product. Um, you know, the only thing that you can do is you force everybody to bear that cost. Um, you know, especially, you know, I mean, we're talking about that in the United States right now with manufacturing, you know, of essential PPE in the future, which is you force 
some of that to come back to the United States. And, you know, the government subsidizes it so that we are not left shorthanded for like three months without masks, you know, when the next pandemic happens. So I think that there are a range of different things that will need to happen. But but this is fundamentally the trade-off between a safer but higher cost means of doing business or a cheaper and more risky means of operating. So you mentioned this trade-off between something being safer, perhaps then coming with a higher cost versus uh, something being more high risk, but perhaps being cheaper. Um, how do we, I guess, meet in the middle? Does technology play a role here in helping, uh, I guess, to bring a level of managing risk and safety as well as keeping costs down? It absolutely could. And I think that it depends on the specific situation and it depends on the specific solution that you're looking to resolve. You know, a good example is in the fast fashion industry. Like that's an industry I would argue where they are faster, they are much more nimble, and it's relatively inexpensive in large part because, because of, you know, technology is a huge part of that. It's feeding data back and forth. It's kind of very, very sophisticated sophisticated planning tools and machine tools that can allow you to make the most of the finite resources that you have that are available to you, whether it's factory time or labor or raw materials. You know, technology can, in some cases, resolve some of those issues. The only thing that I would caution, though, is that are there other costs that you may incur in the course of even that technology usage. And you just have to be careful about that. For instance, are you cutting corners from an environmental safety standpoint or a labor utilization standpoint that you just want to be incredibly sensitive to? But, you know, if technology is an enabler, um, it, it absolutely should be embraced to try to resolve these issues. Thinking about tools and technologies specifically with respect to the conversation we've been having about visibility, resiliency and responsiveness, what do you think is going to be the sort of most revolutionary when you think of some of the challenges that this past year has brought or perhaps what have been the most effective tools and technologies to date that should be considered by brands but perhaps isn't yet readily being used What's the sort of hidden good stuff that people should be thinking about? Yeah, so what we saw significantly through the pandemic was just the investment in digital transformation. And um, that is kind of every digital touchpoint, whether it is investing in omni-channel or investing in supply chain visibility or, or investing in, you know, just new means of um, reaching consumers through solutions like curbside pickup and, you know, in the CPG and retail world. So all of that, I think, will continue to be invested in. It will continue to have rewards for the companies that embrace it. And they've proven themselves to have positive impact. And one of the areas of investment that we have heard so much about and we continue to see a lot of companies eager to embrace is different skins of artificial intelligence. And I do think that that's a loaded term that means so many different things to so many different companies. But what I think is valuable is taking advantage of any type of signals that may exist from customers, from consumers, from 
any inputs that exist internally or externally to support demand planning, to support new product generation, and to help predict particularly shocks that could be very, very disruptive to a business, whether it is um, some shock to demand or a shock to supply. All of that is investing in the insight and what is happening around you, I think will be probably some of the best ways to hedge against, you know, things like supply chain disruptions in the future. So we spoke about visibility, we spoke about resiliency, we spoke about responsiveness. And what you've been outlining is that there's so many different considerations, both from a short term and a long term perspective and a medium term, of course, but also on the sort of um, level of scale happening at the individual level, at the company level, all the way up to kind of across industry and then even government and then even international too, right? So bringing it back to kind of thinking about people listening to this thinking, okay, I'm convinced I need to do something. We need to make improvements no matter the stage we currently are. There's always more that can be done what would be a good first step to start working out what the best first thing to do is when there's a myriad of different solutions and different things to tackle? Perhaps maybe give us some of the most common supply chain improvements um, that they could be considering. If you are a brand, there's this big topic of how do you improve your supply chain resiliency? I suspect that a lot of it is... um, better improving your modeling and um, taking into account, you know, just more sophisticated approaches to modeling. And I would, I would argue that's also where some of these areas of, you know, kind of diversification and not just being concentrated make an impact. I mean, I, what's baffling to me is that there were large CPGs who through the pandemic were unable to ship products you know, in a timely fashion, but then yet private label manufacturers were able to step in and make up the Delta. And my question is, why as a CPG, wouldn't you just hire some of those same companies, you know, and then slap your label on it? You know, is it because you felt that that cost was too high? You know, why wouldn't you do that? You know, because you're losing share. And once you lose that share, some percent of those people are not going to come back to your brand. So, you know, so that I think is um, kind of a good heart to heart to have because I think that brands, you know, brands are so modest in their sales expectations that, you know, they're probably high-fiving themselves that they did really well through the pandemic. But the question that they're not asking themselves is, what did you lose by underproducing? What did you leave on the table that you could have made if you had been operating and firing on all cylinders? Like, yes, maybe you had a 20% growth during the pandemic, but could it actually have been like 100% if you were firing on all cylinders? Like, that's the assessment. And that is the level of accountability that those executives should be held to. And I'm not sure that many of them will be because, you know, everybody's happy that they just experienced 20% growth when in an average year, it may have been like two or three. Or even just survival. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then I think that if you have a more of an industry-wide purview, you know, if, if the end goal is to not be short in your supply chain at critical moments, it can't just be kind of let some companies that have good hearts lead the charge and, and, and you're reliant on them. It needs to be a mandate 
and everyone needs to equally bear the costs. That's something that um, I think we need to grapple with as business. We've had such a push toward free market capitalism pretty much since World War II. And, you know, kind of the most prominent universities have had very, very um, pro-free market kind of, uh, you know, attitudes that have permeated government thinking as well. But I think that extreme situations like this one and things like climate crisis, like these are all things that are forcing conversation in the other direction and really, really highlighting the benefit that does exist with more government-mandated rules and regulations. Awesome, Suchirita. We have covered so much ground with this conversation, which I guess is always going to happen when you're thinking about something like supply chain, because you're thinking about things from from this micro, macro, now, future, past, whatever lens. So thank you so much for opening up your world and giving us so many insights across so many different boundaries and really giving a lot of nice practical advice too for those listening on what their next steps might be. So Suchirita, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show. Oh, my pleasure, Gemma. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find out more about Suturita's work and indeed some of the broader themes we discussed today in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, please do take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. It really helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to hit subscribe and tune in next time to continue our conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed. Learn how Microsoft Dynamics 365 Intelligent Order Management helps organizations simplify and automate omni-channel fulfillment using data, AI, and machine learning. Learn more by following the link in the episode description.